All right. I bet I know it's in that mug. <laughs> You'd be correct. <laughs> <laughs> but not as much as last week because by the end of four hours of you gotta pace you gotta, you gotta pace yourself you know you gotta pace yourself with uh the, these blocks that we're getting on wednesdays um i just have to say something to kick things off chris um mm-hmm. r.i.p leslie jordan right Ugh. no i mean uh yeah a, a loss uh, an american horror story family loss i mean yeah i know that what was... a joy what a joy just not as an actor but well, as an actor but also just like as an instagram follow i think you and i have talked about this before you, you were the one who got me following him on instagram i think yeah i mean during the pandemic he was he just became that comforting voice will shoot y'all oh, what y'all yes. doing i just i can hear it and he's just a lovely wonderful human being in a presence that was already sort of part of our lives because American Horror Story, but really became a part of of our day to day. I think during the pandemic, I'm so yeah. sad. So sad, definitely, definitely a loss. Um, well, you know, thoughts thoughts to him, and um, let's uh, let's dedicate this episode to to Leslie. How about yes? Here's you, Shall Leslie. We dive in? Yes. Here's to you, Leslie. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show American Horror Story. I am your host here with my co-host. Chris Husted. Uh Tyler Moss is your name. What's up? Did I not say my name? No, I don't think you did. Uh, I was too busy thinking of Leslie Jordan. Oh. Uh, well, that's you know? okay. That's okay. Yeah. Um, well, I am Tyler Moss. Uh, thrilled to have you all here on another Wednesday evening in October uh mm-hmm. we are talking tonight about smoke signals episode three of american horror story and subsequently we'll talk about episode four blackout as well in a back-to-back as separate episodes but uh welcome everybody um we are along for the ride this is week two of five of this american horror story sprint for myc how are you feeling chris uh keeping up with the the fast pace Week two, not as not too bad. Um, I think you and I discussed this while we were texting wa- and watching tonight's episode. I think uh, downing some tea, ca- a little caffeinated tea uh, during the back to back helps get us keep us alive for the for our recording of our back to back. So I'm still feeling good. I'm liking this se- season so far. What about you? I agree. I, last week I did a whole pot of coffee, so tea was a downgrade this week. <laughs> um, but so no, last I, week I, I mean... did a whole thing of whiskey I, I did not but <laughs> felt like it yeah i mean uh you know i think we're we're dialed in at this point in time uh, i'm excited to start talking to you about this episode but there's a few things i want to cover before we really dig in uh especially so there's been some really good intel coming in from everybody mm. who's been watching this season i think the fact that it takes place in the 80s and there's so many easter eggs has people sharing all sorts of good stuff um as always, you can also contribute to that uh, by reaching out to us at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com or by sending us DMs or giving you know comments on our posts at thisamericanhorror or uh, facebook.com slash thisamericanhorrorstory, where we're always excited to hear from you. Um, and you can oh, comment on our YouTube videos that are now a bunch of you are watching them. I had no idea that we would have that many people checking us out. Sure, it's not, you know, we're not superstars and are not intending to be on youtube but so many of you reached out via youtube and wrote comments on our videos that it's been awesome so throw some of your theories down there i mean it almost makes me feel like given that this is 
kind of the lead up to Halloween week that like maybe we should have put on a little costume or something for our recording. I, <laughs> oh, I never think about it. appearances yeah. here, but at least you know, I know. Chime in, you know, tune in and you can see uh, my eclectic office uh, backdrop and Chris's pretty sweet backdrop with the curry jersey in the background. <laughs> um, oh, but no. by the way, I saw Dame's injured. I hope he's okay. Mm, me too. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we we appreciate y'all tuning into that as well. And then finally, if you want to contribute to kind of uh, you know our monthly server fees, we always appreciate that as well. You can do so by buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash T-A-H-S. That's T-A-H-S, all caps. Uh, so, Chris, I want to spin through these relatively fast because there's a lot to okay. talk about in the episode. Sure. Um, but first, we had a couple of people, both Jack and Ian on Facebook, point out we had asked last week, who is what is this talk show that they started off? Oh um, yeah, what is it? The talk show is the Robin Bird Show. It was a talk show in New York City. I presume a late night show because I think Ian described it as softcore porn. <laughs> but um, it was uh, around in the eighties, and it was an adult film actress, Robin Bird, who would have other adult film actors or slash aspirants. Um, come and dance on the show and strip on TV. So I have to imagine this was like this sounds, sounds amazing. Like a late night public access type thing. So oh maybe, maybe everybody needs to go down some YouTube rabbit holes on Robin the Robin Bird show. But yeah, it sounds entertaining. It sounds like it was like one of those New York cultural touchstones at the time. Yeah, yeah, we figured it would it would would have been. I think it was Jack who mentioned that these days, like his mom goes for walks with uh, Robin Bird, like in Central Park, they like walk their dogs together or something, which That's is amazing. I have to imagine those conversations are fascinating. That's amazing. Um, so thanks. Thanks guys for, for the intel from both of you. Um, Joe via Facebook also sent us that apparently Bette Midler is known to have sang in bathhouses in the seventies and eighties, which oh. might, I mean, seems pretty clearly like where the Patty Lapone reference is coming from. Interesting. Yeah. I had no idea that was a thing. Mm-hmm. I love you. I love our fans and um, fellow fans and fans of us, I guess. Uh, you guys are so smart. And then Amy uh, via Facebook shared a really good article that I also reposted this evening to our Facebook um, that kind of gives a bunch of background on a variety of other lesser known New York killers that some of the characters in this season could potentially be based on among them is the theory that Whiteley is based on what was known as the last call killer, Richard Rogers. Um, he was around in the 1960s, so it was a different time period, but um, it was this guy who had a kind of troubled background, uh, worked at Mount Sinai Pediatric Hospital in New York City and used his, I guess it would be, access to drugs to put, you know, drug people's drinks at bars. And that was the, the, la- the last call. Called last call is that he would you know, drug people's drinks and then bring them home. And then he would kill people and dispose of the bodies on the side of the road in, in garbage bags. Um, so that's a theory for Whiteley. Uh, there was also another series uh, of murders called the Bag Murders between 1975 and 1977. Um, you'll remember, obviously, episode one, we saw, you know, Patrick, I think we begin with finding that pilot's body in a trash bag in the river. So mm-hmm. it could be a reference there, Head too. Removed. Yep, and then there's a theory that Gino is based on uh, Village Voice, excuse me, uh, activists from the Village Voice, the the newspaper Village Voice, um, Arthur Bell, who was very prominent in seven, like late 70s and 80s. Um, and part of his story is that he was one of the people who was very against the movie Cruisin'. Oh, um, interesting. And like came out and like had a very intense campaign against Cruisin'. I'm beginning to form a little bit of a theory around this season that at least parts of it are like Ryan Murphy's attempt to like 
redo cruising to be like if it had actually been made by the gay community for the gay community do you know what i mean i i could definitely see that um and that that would make sense i had tried to figure out if ryan murphy had spent time because he was born in 65 so that would have put him a little too young maybe to be well it's 80 it's 80 yeah he'd be a little young for for being a living in new york city uh as as, around the ages that, that our characters are the younger ones at least but I wonder if that's something that he's kind of familiar with or knew about or heard about. Um, obviously, cruising is a giant reference uh, in in the film industry for this type of story that we're getting here. Um, and I would believe you. I think that would make sense. Makes sense to me. Um, but again, yeah, everybody appreciate the intel. Uh, it's I think it adds some good context to the show as we go along. Um, Chris, before we dive into our cold open for Smoke Signals, what are you drinking this evening? I mean, I could answer for you, but I'll let you talk right. about it yourself. <laughs> uh, I have some local cider with a tiny bit of bourbon in it <laughs> this evening. What are you drinking? I've got a, uh, well, yours is, is, you always drink hot from, you know, warm, mm-hmm. warm, warm to the microwave or in a kettle? Microwave. <laughs> microwave. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be, it's kind of fancy to warm it on like kettle or in the, on the stove. I just. I'm breaking my colds. Mine's a full shot. I also have a backup beer here for uh, when we move into episode two. So, nice. you know, <laughs> I feel like if I'm going to go for the late night, I might as well go for it. Um, Respect. Okay. Smoke signals. Take us through the cold open, my friend. All right. So this is a bit of a, a, a lengthy one. Um, we have a few locations, but we opened at a diner and we kind of pick up sort of at the end of the previous episode, um, just moved forward a few minutes with Fran and Dr. Hannah Wells, who's Billy Lord's character. Uh, and Hannah is recalling the big leather daddy um, she saw stalking her possibly, but in the pathway in Central Park where they were meeting, where Fran was meeting up with her to tell her the big secret that the government's involved, which um, Hannah says like, so tell me, how is the government involved? And Fran says she was a lab assistant uh, and she got access to files and uh, reports and uh, part of this uh, Operation Paperclip, which was a post-war program uh, where the U.S. used Nazi science against the Russians in the Red Scare. So did you look this up? Is that, I haven't had time. I, didn't have time I did. No, I did. not It was too much going on. And I didn't know how much it would factor into the story. I'm glad I didn't because it actually doesn't really that much in the next At episode. Least yet, yeah. 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 I will look into it for future episodes. If it had become more of a thing, I would have definitely looked back into it so we could talk about it. Um, and then we get a quick flashback. I feel like one of our first ones, if not the first one um, to 1952, a very short flashback showing scientists uh, cross the quote. This is how they say it, they phrase it: crossbreeding contagions and testing them on patients. They were looking for a bioweapon, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and they found something. They found a few things, but they found one particular thing that um, they thought was pretty powerful. But they couldn't make it airborne, so they made it transmissible by mucous membrane, um, which is interesting. And this all happened on Plum Island, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. which. Well, we get a connection a little bit later. Uh, So we come back to the present and um, Fran says, you know, the Cold War is heating up and they are bringing out some of the old goodies uh, from the from the the 1950s. And they're testing them on homeless people and addicts um, and they're using ticks to spread the disease, uh, which are now loose on the island on Fire Island 
um, which is where uh, Dr. Hannibal's had been, where they exterminated all of the deer because they were showing up with these diseases. Fran says she gets she's like, you need to go investigate this. You're the doctor and go tell the press as soon as possible. And she says, Fran's like, my life is on the line. And she says, you remember Karen Silkwood? She's in a Texas cemetery now. And did you know who that was, Tyler? No, I have to mention it's some kind of government whistleblower, though. Yep. Yep, exactly. She was a chemical technician at a nuclear plant in Oklahoma, I believe. And she's also a labor um, labor union activist who was blowing the whistle uh, on the health conditions and the dangerous operating practices that the, her plant that she worked on or she worked at were doing, um, in particular with plutonium. Uh, she, on her way to an interview with the New York Times, and I think someone with the labor union, uh, died in a mysterious car accident. Mm. So conspiracy theories, um, before we talk about conspiracy theories though, we, uh, do I have that? We cut to the Sam's prisoner. Okay. Sam's prisoner. We, we, we talked to conspiracy theories a little bit later. Sorry. I thought that all happened at once. This is what happens when you have two episodes back to back. I'm like, that was part of that scene, right? No, it was later. Um, yes, we cut to, um, the young guy, Stu in the cage in Sam's basement he essentially escapes and flees the apartment, but not before running into the big buff dude in the leather mask, uh, his leather daddy doorman, <laughs> and says, I just want to get out of here, please. And then he runs down the street in his underwear, uh, and we cut to the credits. Boom. And there we are. Uh, well, f- a few things came to mind for me. First one is like, okay, so the, the leather daddy doorman is not big daddy, obviously. Um, and not, clearly he is real because Stu talks to him. And so Sam just has a leather daddy doorman that, this hangs out um, and it's different from Big Daddy. So I guess that's an important distinction. We were getting a little bit too down the rabbit hole and like, is this I, something in his mind or whatever? Yeah, I need to pay attention more to see what the difference is in between their masks. I think there's a I think Big Daddy's there. also Buffer. I mean, they're both both, okay. but I think he's yeah. Buffer. Um, okay. And a couple other things I was going to note too. Uh, props to just Jennifer on Facebook who theorized prior to this, ep- I think prior to tonight, that there was maybe a Plum Island connection, which I wasn't even really familiar with that back backstory. So good on you there. Um, and also, I just wanted to say that uh, I was, we were corrected via Facebook that it know. is indeed Sandra Bernhard, not Bernard. So you, it's a hard Bernhard. Bernhard. Thanks to Michael via Facebook for that one. So we'll, we'll be more on top of it going forward on that one as well. I'm just going to call her Fran. I think Fran is a perfectly fine name. I don't know how much Fran's going to play a role. Uh, like Fran's so far, so- the storyline's kind of sidelined. She feels very peripheral, wasn't she? A reporter for the village. For a hot minute, I imagine. Yeah. yeah, we'll have to see if their issue ever comes out. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the devil issue. Um, this episode was written by Brad Falchuk and Manny Cotto and directed by John J. Gray. Um, so, you know, American Horror Story uh, mainstays. As we move into the the body of the episode... Um, we start off at the police station where or Pat and Mac are looking at corpses. And we, well, they're looking at photos of corpses. They've got like one of those, I, I wanted to call it like a vision board, but it's a pretty dark vision board. It's like, it's just <laughs> mapping out of all the bodies. Are a, a case board. Here. A case board. And uh, Freddie's listed on there. We'll remember uh, Freddie 
Freddie was the one I think who um, had the stool photos taken of him last episode. And then uh, we remember he goes into the bathhouse and like there's a lot of mist and we think he disappears. And we learned that he it sounds like died and we presume he died in the bathhouse, right? And obviously mm-hmm. later that that you know Gino investigates that. Um so you know, we're starting off deep in the midst of investigation. Um and we have the we have well, what was the guy's name? Stu, sorry. Stu arrives at the police station. I mean, so this is all kind of weird to me that like Sam just kind of lets Stu wander out of the the basement i guess he gets bored of him right and he's just like kind of lets him go i think theo says something at one point that like sam blurs the lines between like what's acceptable in society and what's not Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't know if you had any thoughts about that yeah it it seemed a little easy for him to just walk out but also the way he played that game with him with a stranger i mean it's a power play because he knows that you know you still live in a homophobic community that you know even if well even though your immediate community might be more gay friendly you know you go to the police and it's gonna be a he said he said situation and he can play it he's got power and money so it's it's yeah maybe that's why he's doing it but it's you know you think he'd be a little more careful (laughs) well there's a few dynamics to play here right i mean you make a good point so you know um Stu tells patrick about the the dead slutter bar Patrick goes to visit Sam's house um, where he's having that party and basically basically they said they're going to ignore all the coke lying around and everything else, yeah. just go down to the basement. And yeah, Sam's basically like, it's consensual. I dare you to kind of press, like press me on it. And it, and I mean, it becomes like a, you know, I mean, there's, there's some shades of relevancy to today when you think about like, what does assent really mean? Um, you know, and where where are lines drawn yeah but it's it, like like you said it's hard especially to tease out you know there's a lot of different reasons patrick surfaces including the fact that like Stu probably doesn't want this to um get out like in the world you know he doesn't want it to become a public thing so there's some kind of keeping it under wraps going on there sam has a lot of money and a lot of power as we get we're told a couple times here and so there's you know he kind of has all the dynamics on his side, right? But also, apparently, Sam is familiar with Patrick's leather desires. Uh, so, you know, everybody everybody else knows about Patrick's... Patrick is horrible at disguising his, his personal life, I guess. Except to Gino, apparently. For yeah. However long I'm going to go. <laughs> uh, back at home, Gino's been working on a picture of Mr. Whiteley. And finally, we get the, the scene where Gino kind of confronts him but we still like we don't get that full truth till later but Gino confronts him about what Barbara had brought over the kind of leather stash and Patrick admits that he used to go to leather bars um and you know we start to learn I feel like we get more into his kink in these couple episodes which is like kind of being closeted and every kind of like lying and kind of being covert about stuff is part of what turns him on. I think he says at one point, it's hotter when it feels there's like something to be ashamed of, I think is in that exchange of Gino. So, yeah, yeah. you know, their relation, it's a tough relationship. And I feel like at least next to like, it's continues to be tested over the course of the next, this episode and the next one. Or we just swim in circles over the next. A little bit. Episodes. A, a little bit. Like, yeah, I, I agree with you that like we can talk about it at the end, but like yeah. maybe this needs to go. Something needs to happen here because it does feel a little bit repetitive <laughs> after a bit. Um, but Patrick decides he's going to go hang out by the phone after kind of pushing from Gino. And it seems like this is kind of where we seem to be going into kind of the 
cruising territory. Yes. Like, yes. That's what I was thinking. Yep. Patrick gets into, I want to say like costume, but not really. Like he just, you know, he just a little dress up, but, um, you know, at this point I was like, well, if it's Sam, isn't Sam going to recognize him? But I, you know, it's, it's this time around, it's not Sam. The actual he's... killer calls. Well, from what we we know, one one of the killers. Mm-hmm. Rings, but I mean, a bunch of times. That was kind of an entertaining. That's funny. Here. Yeah, like he doesn't get anything. It's all sorts of different people until finally. And I love. I want to say I love, I really admired the the wide angle shots on here on the street. Is he like wait? Yeah. It rings and it's not Sam. It is Whiteley. I think we believe at this point in time. Um, and obviously later we learn it's true. Um, it is Whiteley, right? On the phone, yeah. I think. And Patrick goes to, he directs Patrick to the artist warehouse, right? The same mm-hmm. place where Adam went last episode to that party with Morris. Yeah. Uh, and we, we have a moment here where the artist makes, one of the artists who I, I don't know that we've ever known his, that character's specific name. Uh, maybe we did it like at the, in episode when yeah, Morris was talking about the different artist names, but I don't remember the name. Yeah, I don't But remember. he like makes a comment about the gun sticking out of Patrick's waistband. Yeah, you think he's hitting on him, but he actually is, he's he actually is just he's clocked him as a cop, you know, because of his gun. He's again, Patrick is very bad at disguising himself. Yeah. Uh and Patrick spots a guy wearing glasses who potentially could be white. He looks a little bit like the drawing. A little Calls bit him into the shadows. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we already know immediately like the guy's voice is different. Yeah. Um, Pat starts to pat him down and finds a switchblade, which seems to turn him on even a little bit more almost. And, I know. You know. I was like, they, at this they, point, it's like, is, get into it. is this going to be a miscommunication hookup? Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he pulls out that cat of nine tails and starts whipping him with it and like, seems to have a lot of like pent up. I don't know if it's pent yeah. up rage or not. Pent up passion, something like that. Um, but you know, pain infliction appears to be part of his fetish. You know, um, this is not the same, but it's sort of similar in a way. Um, and I won't say names, but one of my friends um, is on Grinder, and he, uh, like other people, told him, like, "Hey, I've seen like a picture of your torso on this other profile." So this guy, my friend, confronts um, the other profiles, like, "Hey, that's my." picture like what are you doing it's like oh sorry it's a really good torso or something along those lines and then they went and hooked up <laughs> <laughs> so so here's the other guy was pretending it, it was his yeah oh wow okay <laughs> so catfishing but you catfished the original owner of the photo no huh. you, i guess you didn't catfish because he knew it wasn't him but anyway i always you know when he tells that story it's always really funny much better than i just told it hey i mean you know, relationships, uh, well, not relationships, but uh, hookups can blossom in, yeah, in uh, mysterious ways. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, we have a couple flat. Well, we have one flash here. We're down in the subway. Um, so I thought it, uh, this was this scene. I, I have a question for you on because we have a scene down in the subway where I'm thinking this is supposed to be the other artist, I think, who we saw with the cat last episode. Is this the same guy? Is this the same like mine guy who we see? Yes, this is episode. okay. Hans, I believe his name is. Oh, so um, this is this is Hans. And so he's Hans, the performer then, down in the warehouse, and then he's also the one in the subway who you know stumbles across that something is coming woman from last episode and appears right. to follow her into the dark for who knows what reason why he would decide to do that. Yeah, yeah, that was not a good choice, but yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Gino's off. It, I mean, Gino's kind of just off investigating, going to various bars, trying to get people to spill up. 
he goes first to Ayana's bar, which is where um, they had witnessed the murder with a guy getting stabbed in the neck in, in episode two. Um, and she's there washing blood off the floor and admits that she's seen Whiteley around um, and basically kind of sends sends Gino off on his search that takes him back to Brownstone and to Patty LaFone and everybody else. But um, one thing that Ayana kind of mentions here, and then we also kind of have mentioned with Patty LaFone is the funding source of some of these kind of secret bars. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if you have any background on that, if that was like a mob thing where they were no, that way. It kind I, of seems to be what they're insinuating. Yeah, I wanted to look more into that because I was I was fascinated by that. I didn't know what she who she was talking about specifically, um, and they didn't spend enough time getting into it um, because Gino says like, well, we're going to cut off the, the money supply from the ground from the bottom side where no one's going to make money now. Yeah. And that kind of is enough of a threat to her that she's like, what do you want? Yeah, and then he actually finally caves and says, "You know, I need your help." <laughs> oh, that with Patty Lapone, yeah, exactly. With Patty Lapone, like, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, it sounds like this money's flowing into these bars from kind of, um, maybe not the most legitimate sources. So interesting. I th- I'm curious to hear more background on that one, and we need. I I'd be interested to go investigate. But yeah. So um, meanwhile, Adam goes to the Ascension Bar to meet. Theo, he's off kind of they're off everyone's off kind of trying to do their own investigation because they right. feel like the police don't, don't aren't doing enough um interrogates the proprietor a little bit about big daddy and i think they're calling um whitely like the mai tai killer at this point or something something yeah but there's no dice there uh theo shows up they kind of have a back and forth that relationship is developing but we get the ominous big daddy watching from the street mm-hmm. and um you know Adam, I think at this point confronts him about Sam um, and Big Daddy being alive, and there's yeah. a little bit of yeah. He thinks there's like there's a connection there. Sam's not being completely honest. Theo's believing what Sam tells him, and then the uh, and then the killer on the flyer that that he's trying to pass out, which Theo says he doesn't recognize. Like he thinks there's this connection with Sam with what's going on. A lot of stuff happens at once. They get drinks at the same time, both Mai Tais. But what's interesting at this point, too, is like, is is Wiley like trying to get discovered? Because was he planning on like, you know, having both both Theo and Adam get drugged and taking them both back at the same time? Because that seems like it would be a lot to do. It's like and he keeps showing up. I don't know. It's it's like he must have known at that point that I would think that Adam was circulating flyers of him but maybe i don't know how aware he is of adam yet is he i mean because we see him when he's followed theo into the um into the club ascension well that was big daddy though not uh, sorry 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 yeah you're right sorry big daddy big daddy sorry uh whitely i don't think has any idea about either of the two that we've seen okay so he just happens to be there give him my test they're about to catch him and that's when we find out the front door's been chained locked and Big Daddy throws in a Molotov cocktail. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, a lot obviously happening here at the same time. I think at this point also, uh, Gino's off asking Harry back at the Brownstone about um, Whiteley. And, you know, we get a good little Dennis O'Hare monologue here about mm-hmm. like how many people he's seen die and everything. Um, and I think this is just continuing to kind of underscore the idea that, like, you know, it, these what's happening in this community and what's happening to this community is just not being taken seriously really by anybody. Uh, and so you kind of have to fend for yourself and you kind of also have to keep your head down. This is kind of the attitude everybody has. 
in a way that Gino is very frustrated by. Right. Um, but yeah, there's like a little montage here where that's happening. The, the Molotov cocktail is happening. Back at home, Patrick's pulling down his own leather, hidden leather statue in the, the condo with Gino and like, you know, trying stuff on. And this, and this is the point at which I think we see some marks on his arm, which I guess would be the tick tick bites. That's, I mean, that's what we're led to believe so far because of information from Hannah Wells's storyline. Um, but, you know, that's, I mean, that's, that's generally the, the through line for mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Um, and then also we have a, a little flash of Hannah here where, I mean, she's, her storyline is like thrown in every so often, intersects on occasion. I feel mm-hmm. like the Fran thing was a little bit of a stretch to try to get her to intersect with everybody else. But now we're back at her, I guess it's her lab or something where she's basically getting roadblocked on on being able to get evidence to prove out the pathogen, pathogen theory when she leaves, or I guess it's, she's at the hospital right because then she's, she's at there the when everybody starts yeah. coming in yeah and then yeah. she's like well i'm just going to use this opportunity to get blood samples from everybody who's here she, like i love that she's sort of like frustrated with it but it you know you literally just want to go draw gay men's blood in the area that are showing or presenting the symptoms that she's curious about i feel like major violations there <laughs> um yeah well i think you're not alone asking their sexuality right she's she's, (laughs) yeah so she's she's being enterprising in this regard you know maybe not that yeah anything different well that's true um but you know she she's off busy finding the truth but so now everybody's kind of congregated at the hospital we realize theo and adam are okay um if not in perfect condition with adam's kind of inhalation stuff uh, and that's when Adam realizes that Wiley is still at the hospital with him, sends G- Theo to call Gino. Gino shows up with Patrick. Um, they're hustling all over the hospital, him and Patrick, to find Wiley, and finally runs into, uh, I mean, I think sees Wiley from like across the hall and starts chasing him throughout the hospital. So they go on like a wild goose chase. Meanwhile, uh, Hannah's taking samples from Adam. And Hannah seems to know Adam. I don't know that we knew that they knew each other. I, it's okay. I didn't. Yeah. When have they met before? I didn't remember that. Well, and they say there's something they say where it's like, I feel good about what we did. And I don't think we have context on what that is just yet. So she also immediately goes and takes his restraints off because she's like, why are you restrained? No pro- professional would just do that if they didn't know that that was safe. I don't, so yeah, that, that was odd to me. So, so I think we're hinting at a relationship we don't know about yet. Yeah. Right? Or, or they missed a scene. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but they begin it. We, we, we witness a chase where Gino follows Wiley all over the hospital, up and down hallways, through back corridors, down staircases. And finally, we end up down in the basement and into the morgue where Gino's found a scalpel to try to, I guess, I mean, he thinks Wiley's hiding in one of the freezer drawers, which, like, as we quickly find out, it's not easy to get out of things once you lock yourself, once you get locked in there. Um, but Wiley sneaks up on him with some chloroform, I imagine chloroform or something like that to knock him out. Tapes up his arms and legs and sticks him in the freezer drawer to effectively die. And he even had to do a little thing here about like, he's not going to, you know, murder him directly, but he's more okay with kind of the indirect murder. Um, yeah, passive murder. <laughs> passive murder. And that's where episode ends is with Gino kind of flailing around in the um, in the drawer, right? Yep. Uh I mean, I think we we actually got through that pretty quick. And like you and I were talking about, I feel like the season, the episodes tend to be a little bit more 
linear um, in a way that it's easier to talk to sometimes than other seasons of American Horror Story where there's a lot of jumping around. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, curious to fe- to hear like where you came out on this episode. Um, yeah, I really liked it actually. I thought it was a nice um, kind of procedural episode in a way. You've got a, a few different people investigating in their own ways. Um, the cinematography of it felt like I was watching a movie. Uh, like you mentioned, like the wide shots of the phone booth outside the ditch, I think is what the bar, that leather bar was called. Uh, it was great. I thought the chase scene in the hospital was staged really well and filmed really well. It was, it was a busy hospital and thank God it was until they got to the morgue because it, I get so frustrated when you see the trope of the empty hospital or the wing of the hospital that's under construction and no one's there. We never really ventured into that territory. And that, I thought that was great that we didn't. Um, but people would always like dip out of the hallway right when something was happening. And there were some great shots where Whiteley would like cross behind in the back and then cross forward in the front and like it kind of flipped the chase around almost like Whiteley was stalking Gino. And it was just I thought yeah. it was really yeah. cool. Well done on that. Um I also I, I appreciated this episode because, and this is kind of speaking for the season as well. It's very different than all the other seasons of American Horror Story because it is straightforward. Um, it is more of a slow burn where we're kind of unraveling this mystery. And so far, we have not gone into the supernatural that I can think of, which is kind of cool and different. It's showing a lot of restraint for American Horror Story. And we're not getting hit with tons of sassy one-liners by our characters again something that i do appreciate american horror story but it's a little refreshing seeing them try it not trying something different um the dialogue doesn't feel awful uh i mean sometimes it's a little weird but um but overall i think this was a really solid episode and i feel like i'm not as frustrated watching it so far because it's telling the interesting story in a time period that i find fascinating um is it perfect no but uh and i can get into that probably more when we review next episode but for 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 this episode um what what should we rank it as a smoke signals um i mean we did my ties for the first two yeah i I don't i I feel like i'm continuing to use my ties unless you want to switch it up no my ties for sure and we obviously should have my ties for the season finale uh when we when we do our review for that um i i may give this four and a half my ties i had a good time i enjoyed it um i i just i just wholeheartedly enjoyed it it was fun uh what what do you what are your thoughts on it what do you give it yeah i mean i feel like you hit on a lot of the right notes um one of the things i've really enjoyed about this season is like the immersion into all the different like types of bars and like uh the warehouse parties and like all the all these locations have very much a distinct look and feel to them like you know i i'd be curious to go to the ascension like it looks it looks like a cool and interesting bar and it's very different from the brownstone which is very different from the bathhouses which is different from you know the warehouse and the ditch and all these different places like i don't know it's been kind of cool to journey into this world a little bit um Especially when you learn, you know, like as we talk a lot about the history about how so many of these places were kind of operating, uh, you know, um, I mean, they were not that they were like speakies in the sense that like they had like they were really kind of hidden. 
Um, I think probably, you know, if they were illicit, then like probably the authorities knew about it and were getting paid off or something like that. But um, they're still not kind of, you know, really public businesses in that way. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know. It, it's an interesting time. I think they're doing a good job embodying the time period. I mean, I obviously uh, dive into that more too in the next episode with talking more about blackouts and things like that. But I, for like a American Horror Story taking on kind of a period piece angle, which I, we've done in the past a lot of different time periods, but I feel like this one feels to me because of all like the real history hooks um which could be poorly done and i feel like they're doing it well uh it's i just don't know i i feel like it's landing which i've i've been impressed by um and i i'm really enjoying the again i i'm really enjoying the acting too i feel like uh first of all i feel like um gino and patrick uh russell toby and uh, joe mantello mantello um i think they're both terrific I Charlie Carver I'm really enjoying as well. Um you know Isaac Powell I I think everybody's doing a really good job. Um we're getting just a little bit of Leslie Grossman here and there. She's not around that much, but I mean yeah, Zachary Quinto is Sam like you don't like Sam, but he's obviously a He's doing a great there. job. Yeah. He's I'm so, very intrigued with him. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um I think honestly the weakest acting for me so far has come come probably from Cal Penn. Um, he just kind of shows up and gives is gruff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of like gruff in a little bit of a corny way. He's kind of the corniest character. Otherwise, I feel like all the others are, are pretty on point. So, I would probably give this episode. I'm going to give it a 4.25. I think it was also solid. Um, I just don't know that it like for me had enough going on that it either it didn't like rise above other episodes and it didn't death below up other episodes. It was just like another solid episode. So I think 8.75 solid score. I think it should be, everyone should be happy with that one. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, excited to talk with you next about blackouts. So we should move on quick to that. We want to thank everybody listening. Um, you know, for those who might not be moving on to the next episode right now, uh, <laughs> you can always reach out to us at this American horror story at gmail.com or comments on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash this American horror story. Chris, where can people find you between now and next episode? <laughs> Instagram and Twitter at Chris Eustead, Chris with a K. How about you, Tyler? You can find me on those channels, but you can also find us on YouTube at uh, this American horror story podcast. Is that our YouTube? Channel? Yeah. <clears throat> um, yes. Or we'll have a link on our Facebook page. <laughs> that too. I missed there. Either one. All right, folks. Happy hauntings. See you soon.